Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome in Buckeye Nation. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast with Land Grant. Holy live as always. I'm joined by Jordan Williams here today, and we're here to talk about Ryan Day taking a flamethrower. The entire defensive coaching staff getting I, – I, I don't even want to call them his guys, but how are you doing today, Jordan? Let's start with that. Um, I'm doing great, and I'm doing great for a particular reason. It's partially because uh, Ryan Day fired the staff, but it's really it's really because the football gods favored Buck Off Pod. Um, we are clearly their favorite podcast because um, we normally record on Wednesday – but as I've said multiple times, I'm an idiot who decided to go back to school, and I now have class on Wednesday. And I was just sitting here thinking all day, if I didn't have class on Wednesday and we recorded yesterday, how long in the day would it have taken for us to decide to scrap the entire show plan and record a new episode? We would have. And, and we didn't have to do that because we now record on Thursday. So the football gods love us. Book Off, Book Off is clearly their favorite podcast, and we were blessed with all of this Ohio State news right before we recorded, so I'm doing excellent. Yeah, and I'm with you on that for sure. It, it's incredible when a news drop happens before you record and not the day after you record, Like, which usually is what it feels like. Every time, that's what it feels like. Every time you do an hour and a half long pod, an hour long podcast, and then all of a sudden, oh, breaking news, here you guys go. A day later, and then you're just stuck not even being able to talk about it till next week. Oh, you mean like last week's pod when I was complaining about people not getting fired and then they got fired the next day? The next day. I was going to bring that up. (laughs) Last episode, we started the show with a conversation about Ryan Day being like, it felt like he was slow playing all the firings. And then all of a sudden we realized, actually, it's only the first week of January. Uh, Maybe he's not slow playing them. And then all of a sudden it came out. And like I said, I said, taking a torch to the whole defensive staff, he took a full on flamethrower to it, said, hey, last year was a failure. Yeah, we won the Rose Bowl, but we didn't play in the Big Ten Championship. We lost to our rival. We lost our major out of conference game. So next year, when we have Notre Dame week one, we're not going to have that same issue again because I'm changing everything. And I think he did an incredible job of building a staff of – really good football people. And what I mean by that is it seems like we're going from 
a staff of kind of young, a little bit more inexperienced. Kerry Combs was being a defensive coordinator for the first time at what, 60 years old. It felt like I can't remember his age. Don't I'm sorry, Kerry. I know you're it's, it's a tough situation when a coach is fired. Don't want to bring his age into it any more than I have to. But the point is like, he was a first time defensive coordinator. Matt Barnes was not a first time defensive play caller, but it's a big responsibility for a guy with that little of experience. You know, you keep going down the list. Um, it, Al Washington's not a natural linebacker coach, and Larry Johnson was kind of stuck in a scheme that probably wasn't the best for his coaching and his ability to teach fundamentals. So Ryan Day said that wasn't good enough, and he got a bunch of guys who are known to be really good teachers of scheme, really good educators of all things football. And I think that is a full 180-degree turn. And I think in one of my tweets, I – noted that it feels like there was a lot of trust lost with this staff and with some of the other reports coming out, like without Washington and other stuff, it did feel like a lot of trust was broken, but at Ohio state, it's about winning the big games and you need your defense to be at its best to do that. Uh, it was pathetic last year. So Ryan day made changes and I think he did a great job. Do you think, how, how do you feel? What were your initial thoughts when you started seeing the names who were rolling in? <clears throat> Yeah, my initial thought, and the one thing I want to comment to what you're saying is it feels like Ryan Day went from a staff of a bunch of good people to a staff of a bunch of good coaches. And I don't want anyone to like misunderstand what I'm saying and, and thinking that the new pe- the new coaches aren't also good people, but their number one trait is not that they're a good person. Like everyone loved Al Washington. All the recruits loved him. He was a good person. Everyone loves Ryan Day enough where I got trolled earlier because I thought someone was seriously saying that he needed a statue. Like, no one had ever said a bad thing about Matt Barnes, from what I've known. And he was obviously trusted enough to be given emergency play calling duties on two different staffs. They were all good people, but they were not good coaches. And so, yes, these new coaches are good people, but the most important thing is they're all good coaches. Uh, the one thing that stuck to me as I was reading all the articles and different things that had quotes from other coaches and players, um, you know, and we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more, but like some pro players talking about it, um, guys trying to go pro, going, trying to go pro. There's two things that stuck out about every single one of these coaches that was hired. At least one player, media member, other coach mentioned for all of them, how good they are at teaching and how important technique is to them. And those are the two issues. Al, uh, Al Washington, a great guy. He was not a linebacker's coach, and he could not teach linebacker technique. As someone that played linebacker, and obviously not at this level, linebacker is not an easy position. There's a lot of technique you have to do because you have to be able to, especially at Ohio State's level, defeat a block of a six foot five, three hundred pound offensive lineman, and then cover a five foot eleven guy who runs a four three or a six foot three tight end. Like you have to be able to do a lot. It's a lot of different techniques. Al Washington was a D line guy. He didn't know technique. Carrie Washington, uh Carrie well. Combs. Carrie <laughs> Combs, great guy, great recruiter, a good rah rah guy. I have never once heard any former Ohio State player, including all the former Ohio State players who have been all up in arms about him getting fired, about people wanting to fire him, about him being demoted. Everyone started with he's a good guy. I have not seen one single person talk about his emphasis on technique or his teaching. Um, and the list goes on and on and on. So I think that was my my biggest takeaway is that 
we went from good people to good coaches. And that's the most important thing because we have the athletes. But right now we have athletes with no technique, and that's an issue. Yeah, and even if, like, they teach these basic techniques well, it's not like they're doing a lot of different varieties. And for a great coach, like, when you look at a defensive scheme in the NFL, NFL corners are able to do almost every single thing you'd ask of them. And that's kind of the expectation of what these corners want to take away at Ohio state. Like you can teach man to man coverage. Anyone can teach man to man coverage. Uh, but there's so much more to football than that. And I think, you know, reading about Matt Barnes talking about how he's a film grinder, it just seems like he had trouble with the connecting aspect to players from everything I've read. Uh, he, he, like it seems like his personality is pretty dry. Kerry Combs, like he said, one of the best raw road guys you'd ever see. And I think Al Washington, I mean, he did the best with his cards. So I think he honestly got dealt the toughest hand in this entire situation. Cause if you read reports from other places, day offered him some ways he could stay on and possibly be the heir apparent to Larry Johnson's defensive line, which would have been ideal, but he took it as disrespectful that he wasn't part of the future plan in the first place as a position coach as a full-time staffer, and now he's choosing to go a different direction. So, I mean, it's all business at the end of the day. And I think before we get into new coaches, I think everyone needs uh, this message because, yes, you could celebrate the new coaches all you can. But when someone gets fired, it's not the time of day to go in and be like, air your final grievances to a coach. You shouldn't be doing that. You know, yes, Kerry Combs' defense wasn't the best. Yes, it honestly probably cost us a championship opportunity back-to-back years, but that's not what you should be airing your grievances about at this point. You had two years to do it. It's over. You moved on amicably. He's done really good things for the program as much as he hasn't when it comes to on-field performance. So it's not something you should be excited about, but you should be excited about the new people and you should really just uh, give your respects and appreciation to the people who got fired because uh, just picture if you got fired from wherever you work, say you work at a Wendy's, someone comes in, they say, you're fired, dude. And then someone comes in and starts throwing fries at you and saying, you suck at cooking, bro. Like it sucks, man. It wouldn't be great. So that's just kind of a message I want everyone to hear. Let's, let's stay positive. We got a great new staff coming in. That's going to be a very exciting off season because of it. Yeah. And I think the most important thing about that is remembering that they're human, right? Like, we have our grief, our gripes about, you know, how they did on their job and stuff like that. But they're human and getting fired is hard. Uh, and so I think we should remember that even when we celebrate, uh, you know, the new, new hires. Yeah. And that's the hard thing because it's like I'm celebrating the new hires and I've been calling for them to fire the entire defensive staff for a while. But it's not without understanding what comes behind that. It's just – at the end of the day, it's a business and you have to do what's best or everyone's going to lose their job. So it was uh, it was a necessity. But I agree, like this is not the time to be like adding them and coming up with wild stories and this kind of stuff. It's already going to be hard enough for them. You can be happy for the, you know, the future of Ohio State without being disparaging of 
the past. But also, you can be honest about the past because that's especially that's what we're here to do. That's we what we're here to do. We're going to talk about why they get fired. Like, you can't say, pretend like it was all roses, but like, you don't have to be an asshole about it, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, like, obviously, we all know why they got fired. Like, Ohio State's defense was bad the last two years, but it's not the time to add on to the pile. You had two years to do that, and you got your wishes. So it's time to just cut the cord, wish them well, and hope that their next endeavor is more successful. Yeah, 100%. And I think they're all going to be – I think they'll all get picked up. Yeah, somewhere. I do too. I, like, don't think, um, I don't think any of them will have trouble finding work. Yeah, and that's the, and that's the thing. Like, from if you believe rumors and stuff, and some of this has been a little bit more detailed than others, it seems like you know Ryan Day may have been willing to keep Al Washington, which you already said, and Kerry Combs on staff. But the one thing that I told everyone is Kerry is not going to stay because it goes against his ambitions. Like, like I know he's a great person and he loves Ohio State, but who? How many people love their job enough? to take a demotion. Yeah, and, not me. And that demotion, because it's a business, they're not going to grandfather him in on that salary either. That demotion is coming with a pay cut. And you said you didn't want to bring his age in it. I don't know his exact age, but it's not like he's out Washington where he's 30 and he can take a bounce back and a step back. And his career is just starting. His career is ending. So if he still wants to be a DC or a head coach or something like that, now he's time to do find it. it. He yeah. can't take years on the staff. And also... Maybe, and because I know I would, if you're going to be a position coach specifically, it is much better to be a position coach in the NFL than college. So as much as everyone talks about how good he recruits and all that kind of stuff, maybe he doesn't want to recruit if he's not going to be a defensive coordinator. So I never thought he was going to stay on staff because I didn't think he would want to accept that demotion. Um, and it seems like Al Washington didn't want to either. So um, I, I genuinely do not believe Ryan Day set out to remake his whole staff like this. I think he would have been content if they would have taken lesser roles and made some of the other moves that they were going to make, but they didn't. And I personally think it's for the better because I think that we have better coaches. Um, and even if they're on par, which I don't think they are, but even if they're on par, sometimes you just need a new voice, especially when you have a new coach and except for Larry Johnson, who uh, Jim knows would respect anyway as his elder and what he's done. And in here, you don't want your new guy coming in and being the only new person. And he tried to change stuff. And they said, well, that's not what we do here. That's not how yeah, I it's not a good combination. You're the new guy. So now all of these guys, they have years of experience in that kind of stuff, but they're going to be new to the defense. And so when Jim Knowles is telling them what to do or how to teach a technique or something, obviously with some level of respect because they know how to do their job, but how certain techniques fits in in his defense, it's all going to be new to them. They're going to be more mold moldable, that's not a word, but more willing to be molded and more willing to put out a certain product because it's a new defense for them as a whole and they're teaching it as a whole versus coming in and trying to teach an old dog new tricks, which maybe it worked, but it, you have to be very humble to do that. Like, Yeah, to absolutely. Come to, so for multiple reasons, I think this is all for the better. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point you brought up because I think when you talk about all the new hires, they're coming in with the expectations of working for Jim Knowles. Like, that's going to be their boss. They know that, you know, it's not kind of like that. You know, I, I think I think back on it, at the beginning of the season, there was conversations about, like, 
disdain between the staff. Like Al Washington didn't feel like he had a voice last year. Larry Johnson felt like they, the staff didn't really have any sort of synergy. And there was these kind of complaints like slipping out, you know, here and there. And I think when you bring in a Kerry Combs, who was Larry Johnson's equal at one point, a position coach, you know, putting out NFL players, and you bring him back and make him a DC, you kind of see that guy differently. Now you've got Jim Knowles here. And like you said, Larry Johnson's going to be fine. Like everyone respects Larry Johnson and what he does and his ability to teach whatever he needs to teach. But I think you might have had some issues, like you said, with some of the other coaches thinking, well, why didn't I get this opportunity? Why didn't I get this chance? Like Al Washington's goal is probably to become a head coach one day. So he'd probably think, why didn't I get a shot at defense coordinator like Barnes did during the season and so on and so forth. So now you take those egos out of it. You change the expectation of who's working for who. Jim Knowles is the DC. He's the CEO of the defense and everyone else is working under him. And that's going to be how it is. And that's a huge, uh, I mean, that's a huge point of emphasis, I think, because at the end of the day, everyone knows the pecking order at this point on the defensive side of the ball. And that's important. Yeah, and I think that I think the last thing you said really kind of like highlights what I was thinking. Like they got hired with the pecking order and set. Like everyone knows, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people knows what it's like when like I used to work at Target and Target is not a place that people stay long. I was there for almost three years and right before I stopped working there, it got to a point this is not an advertisement for Target, but Target is one of the companies that believes in moving managers up. So to move up, they typically move stores. So typically a manager who is good at their job and on the fast track only works at a store for two years. And then they move to another store for two years. And then they either move up or they move over again and then move up. Like there's a clear line of how you move up. So I was there long enough that all of my managers were transitioning. And so all of the managers who knew me knew how I acted, knew the, what I like to do. Like, I did not like stock. Like, I did not like certain things. So they let me move around the store. And at one point, I learned every single job in the store because they let me be flexible. They didn't make me do the same thing every shift, that kind of stuff. The new managers didn't know that about me. They didn't know anything. And the job changed. The dynamic changed. All of my friends that I liked didn't work there no more. So a lot of people have experienced that. And it's the same thing. At this level, your friend goes and gets another job. You get a new supervisor who doesn't know you. The rules are different. Like you used to be able to coach this and now you have to coach something else. You're learning a whole new playbook, which is not fun. Nobody likes getting a new job. You may like the new money, but you don't like learning the new route to work. You don't like the new ball. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes with that. And so I think with this, it's new for everyone. And like you said, there's a pecking order. Jim Knowles, instead of being the last guy hired, is the first guy hired. And so when these coaches, and we haven't said their names yet, but Tim Walton signs up and Perry Alano signs up um, and everyone signs up, they sign up to work at Ohio State under Jim Knowles. And it's very clear. And I think that's very important. Yeah, and it's just one of those things. It's like a small thing that a lot of people don't think about. But egos are a huge part of being a human being, and it's really hard to put that aside when change happens. Like it's just it's just the way people are. So without further ado, let's get into these new coaching hires. And honestly, we're gonna start with the defensive side of the ball because that's where he took the torch. And then we're gonna kind of talk about the whole the staff in its final state. I because I don't think anything else is happening. 
No. Maybe some offensive assistance, GAs, that kind of stuff. But um, nothing crazy. Nothing yeah. that nothing that'll involve a really big salary being changed. Yeah, or maybe even a tweet. <laughs> like yeah. the Ohio State account might not even tweet them. You might just get a picture at some point. Yeah, on the roster that's page. A new offense. Yeah, like an offensive guy or something. Yeah, so we might get a football. What's the one? The one that's been putting out all the footballstream.com. Like, hey, this person's a GA now. Yeah, or something. Yeah, but all right. So we're going to start with the top. All right, new hires and roles. We're going to give you both. And then we're going to talk about their background and why they're going to be a good fit at Ohio State real quick. So the first hire, obviously, of the offseason was Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator, and that's kind of something a lot of people were asking for. Uh, Jim Knowles, a very well-known name in coaching circles. He's been very successful. Uh, He's been a head coach before in the Ivy League, so he's an intellectual guy from Philadelphia. You guys have heard all the stories, everything you need to know about him. He likes cigars. Uh, fun fact, he's on a plant-based diet, so that's interesting. He's he, he's kind of – he's a renaissance man in a lot of ways, and I think that's fun. But what he really brings is an incredible defense and an incredible history of improving defenses. And I don't think that could be – like, I, I think you can misinterpret that. Like, he's bright. He went to Oklahoma State, which was one of the worst defenses and then by last year, they were the number three total defense in the country. Like, that's incredible work. And he did that, like, you know, anyone who's, you know, really, really, really watches college football doesn't buy into all of the, you know, stereotypes and hype. But he did that in the Big 12 where they, quote, unquote, don't play, don't play defense. defense. And that makes it even more, you know, yeah, like spectacular because of some of the offenses that are run in that in that conference. It's kind of fun because like, you've got guys like Jim Knowles, you've got guys like Dave Aranda, you've got a few other defensive coaches who've gotten involved, whether it's through coordinating or being the head coach and the big 12's defensive improvement really actually been kind of incredible given where the trend it was going. Yeah, and I actually, that's I mean that's not an Ohio State thing, or you know, Big that Ten. Is interesting. I think that is interesting in general. Like they keep hiring defensive coaches in the Big Twelve, to and it's come back to it's the offense really changing. Yeah, so which like is, the big, which is just the cyclical nature of sports. Yeah, the Big Twelve in five years is going to be the best defensive conference because they were so good at offense number wise that it changes. But yeah, Jim Knowles is an incredible coach. So that's a start. We've already heard everything we need to talk about with Jim Knowles. Who's next on the list? Let's see who we got here. Perry Eliano. If you guys don't know who Perry Eliano is, uh, just look at the very successful corners at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, He was the defensive backs coach there for, what, the last three years, I think it was? Yeah, yep, last two or three. So they've had an incredible success rate with their cornerbacks in Kobe Bryant and Sauce Gardner. They have had really solid safeties. And defensively, they've definitely improved since Eliano's been there. So yeah, I think – yeah, you go ahead. Since he is – I don't remember the exact year, but since he's the first team to have two first-team All-American corners at the same time since Alabama did it in like 2011 or so, or maybe even further. I don't remember the exact year, but it's been a gap. And being tied with Alabama is typically good. First team to have two first-team All-American corners 
in the same year on the same defense uh, since Alabama did it some years ago. So that is credit to him. Yeah, and honestly to him. So a lot of people are like, well, how does he recruit? How does he do this? How does he do that? He didn't recruit Sauce Gardner or Kobe Bryant, but the development is what has been missing at that position. And this is going to be kind of a common theme throughout us talking about the coaches, and it already has been. Like, He's an incredible teacher of how to play football, especially the quarterback position. And if you guys know anything about Cincinnati, they run a lot of multiple looks on their defense with coverages and they do a lot of man coverage. They do a lot of quarters looks. They do a lot of different zone techniques that kind of take it away from being a zone coverage, like zone matches and all that stuff. So when you look at all that, that's a lot of what Jim Knowles does and having a guy and he's going to be coaching the safeties. So uh, I think well, that's so- going to be- Sorry, has that been confirmed? I've seen two different things. I've, the first thing was that he was coaching safeties, and then I saw a couple of people say that he was DBs and that Walton was safeties. I think maybe the positions aren't solidified, at least to what the media knows. I've, I've just seen it both ways. Yeah, well, regardless, I think they're both very capable. I, I honestly – I feel like it's Walton's going to be the corner. If we're going to make predictions, I think Walton's going to be the cornerback's coach. I think I would say that too. I think you, we should just – you know be honest in the fact that there have been there's no uh, there's no consensus yeah. media wise on who on what position he's coaching and but we we probably won't we coach. probably we probably won't find out until they put him in the rosters honestly because that's when you usually find out that stuff uh but yeah i think that i think he's an incredible uh i think he's a great hire i i know um Looking at his history, I mean, he's one of the coaches here who doesn't even have a Wikipedia page, so that's that's something. Uh, but that's that's nothing, you know. When you really think about it, who cares about a Wikipedia page? It's just for information. We well, go to Cincinnati's website, and he's had a pretty long career at a bunch of different places, coaching corners and safeties, and he's just done a good job everywhere he's been. And I think that's something that's a testament. And honestly, Luke Fickle doesn't hire bad coaches. That's just also a fact. He doesn't hire bad coaches. So if you're getting someone from Luke Fickle, I'm just going to assume he's a really good coach. Yeah. Um, that's funny. Cause I, the, one of the first things that I thought is like Ohio state, big brother, Cincinnati. They're like, that's cute. You're not allowed to have the best quarterbacks coach in the state. So we're going to take him from your staff uh, because, and I saw people trying to say like lateral move, lateral move. No, there, there's like three jobs in the country that it, going to Ohio state's a lateral move. And that's it. Since even if you're just going to the same position, going to Ohio state from anywhere else is not a lateral move. Um, the one thing I wanted to say, which is just not common knowledge that everyone's going to know, um, there were two articles that were about this. One of them was by Justin Williams, who is the athletic Cincinnati writer. And he obviously wrote this before the coaching change, just talking about their defense and that kind of stuff. And Perry Alano is from the South. He played in Texas, coached in Texas, which is important, especially with Oklahoma going through it and USC and some of the more people trying to get into Texas, he is credited by a lot of people in Cincinnati for getting um, Cincinnati in the South, getting Cincinnati yeah. in Florida and Texas and Alabama. They He has a four-star DB committed from the state of Alabama right now. Um, 
That That's like no he, small feat. Um, I can't think of his name, but there was a running back that he was in on that went to Alabama, didn't like it there, and then transferred. He's on Cincinnati's roster right now. Um, he like he's credited with like that relationship. Like, and and in the story, it's actually interesting if you have the athletic. One of the coaches is talking about he went down to Florida. And some some girl there asked him if he worked at Chick-fil-A because they didn't have like the brand recognition. And no, that is not tied to just one guy. A lot of that is tied to winning and things like that. But for everyone talking about recruiting, he is a good recruiter. He's never had to recruit to Ohio State's level, but he has the relationships in Texas and Alabama and Florida and stuff like that. And so when he goes to those high schools, he's going in now for Ohio State. And that's not crazy. That's crazy. And that's going to gonna open up the next level of recruit. That's going to take him from that low four star guy to the high four star and five star guy who's on the same team of the coaches that he already knows. So, not common knowledge. If you don't pay a bunch of money for the athletic, you may have never seen that. But I just wanted to put that out there to maybe ease some tensions on if he can recruit and stuff like that. He is a good recruiter, and his territories are where Ohio State lives at. Yeah, and I think one thing about that article is like he literally pretty much built the southern recruiting strategy for Cincinnati. Like that's not a small feat. Like like getting a like Cincinnati was pretty much stuck with recruiting the Midwest. Uh, you know, everyone kind of gets that occasional Texas recruit from here here and there, you know. But you're kind of stuck in a box when you're a group of five school like Cincinnati. And being able to go into Alabama and get a recruit number one is astounding. In itself. So Perry Eliano, great hire. Next hire we got on this list on the defense. Tim Walton, corners, Jacksonville Jaguars, longtime pro, uh, pro coach. He was on a Saban staff. And guess which Saban staff? The LSU won, 2003 national champions. Uh, so he's got an incredible. And he's a former Buckeye. And he's a former Buckeye. Yeah, we're good at. In the 90s for Earl Bruce, right? Uh, was he started with Earl Bruce, but I think he was a John Cooper guy. Okay, but yeah, either way, he played on he played for the Buckeyes in the nineties. So he may not be someone that everyone readily remembers, but for all the people like me, he said we need to get former Buckeyes on staff. We got one former Buckeye. And I, I will say this: we can start with the Jalen Ramsey article that everyone keeps circulating. Jalen Ramsey called him the best teacher he's ever had, and when that's coming from. Arguably, I, I mean, I am not going to get in any debates about best corner in the NFL, but if you're going to debate it, Jalen Ramsey's always there. So if the best one of the best corners who's always in the argument for best corner says you're the best teacher I've ever had, that is the only thing I need to hear. Yeah. Um, and and I, I just want to read part of the quote. It's not the actually most interesting part. You should find the video because it's everywhere. But from his his words, he said <clears> – <throat> He's probably one of the best defensive back coaches, if not the best defensive back coaches I've ever had in my life. The best thing is he was always trying to understand us. A lot of times people in authority don't really care to try to understand you as a person. He says this after he talks about his teaching and technique, which is the thing that I keep harping on because that's the biggest thing. And everyone, you know, talks about Jalen Ramsey. People think he's arrogant and braggadocious and that kind of stuff. And he puts off this persona, but he is at, first of all, at the time that he was talking about Walton, he was guaranteed the best corner in the NFL, which is why he got tra- uh, traded for multiple first round picks. And I personally still think he's the best one. We don't have to debate that, but still for a, like you're saying, top three, top five corner to say this about a guy. Yeah. That, that, that carries a lot of weight. 
And I want to go on record here and say this. Jalen Ramsey at one point in his life was a five-star recruit. And if Mr. Walton is relating to Jalen Ramsey, the NFL player, I I have a feeling he's going to be pretty comfortable walking into some homes and being like, hey, come play for me. (laughs) I coached Jalen Ramsey, bro. Like, Remember when he was an all-pro cornerback in Jacksonville? You know that place that it's like a dumpster fire? Yeah, the all-pro <laughs> corner in Jacksonville. He played for me. So I, I think the Buckeye aspect, he's coached for Nick Saban, which is always a good sign because Saban doesn't have bad coaches besides his current defense coordinator. Um, you know, it, it's it's an incredible he, – he, he has everything that we've wanted. He's like literally if we had to build a coach for like what we both wanted and combine them, this is this is the guy. Yeah, and and I think um, NFL experience. You know, you got you just go down the list. NFL experience, former Buckeye. Yeah, 17, 17 years NFL experience, and everyone talks about they want an NFL guy. They want this. They want that. Like he he has a lot of stuff, and, and uh, I think this is important to mention. Um, Perry Alano and Tim Walton are both uh, black, I'm pretty sure, which is, I think, in college football in general, you need to have some diversity on your staff. And Ohio State staff for a while was a bunch of old white men. Maybe y'all listening don't really care about this, but I promise you the players do. Um, So that is also good. But, like, he has – he played the NFL. He coached in the NFL. He coached for Nick Saban. He's a Buckeye. He coached the best corner in the world. Like, what Like what more could you want from him? Yeah, and you re- can talk about recruiting, but, like, just go into a recruit's house and play the Jalen Ramsey video and say, I have 17 years of NFL experience and you want to go to the NFL. Okay, <laughs> sign me up. Yeah, and I'm going to be honest. We could probably go and find a long list of defensive backs he's coached in the NFL, but I'm going to stick with Jalen Ramsey because, like you said, he's probably the best corner of the last, like, five years. I mean, Jalen Ramsey is a – unless he gets injured, he's a Hall of Famer. And he's working his way to a first ballot Hall of Famer. We may not like him like people like prime time. I don't know why people don't like him, but it doesn't matter. I like Jalen Ramsey. The, he's the prime time of our generation. He's the certified best corner. And if that's not a good reference, he's the Daryl Revis of our generation, which is more our yeah. generation. Like, yeah, like- prime time, Daryl Revis, Jalen Ramsey, as a succession of who's the best corners in the league over a period of time. Yeah, and I, I agree with that 100%. Uh, so, yeah, the next one on the defensive staff, obviously, Larry Johnson was retained. Uh, so, I think that I think you put that together. You've got decades of experience. You've got different recruiting strategies, different recruiting types. I, I just think when you're constructing a college staff, like I think you've got the perfect mix of every single thing you could want, honestly. You got Jim Knowles, the mad scientist. You got Perry Eliano. He's kind of the creative in this group. You know, he's able to do stuff out of the ordinary for a lot of programs. So I'm excited to see what he brings to the table in that regard. Tim Walton, former Buckeye, you know, pro player, pro coach for 17 years. Insane amounts of knowledge built up in that time at the highest level. So, like, you know, with college coaches, this is something else. Like, you focus a lot of your time and efforts in recruiting. In the NFL, that means Tim Walton was literally just learning football for 17 years mm-hmm. and learning how to teach it. Learning and teaching it. And I, we as we say this all the time and we'll continue to say it. Ohio State 
recruits itself. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why it's bad when you can't recruit. <laughs> like, like yeah. stud. Like, it's an issue. It's like, why can't you get the top of the line guy? You have to be doing something where people don't want to come to Ohio State when, in general, they should just want to come to Ohio State. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, like, and, you know, um, it's just like, just think of it. Like, we keep saying Jalen Ramsey, Perry Alano gets to go. And that's one of the other things that was in the article. They talked about, like, when he recruits, he tells people, he's like, oh, yeah, I, I coach Ahmad Gardner. And they all know who he is. Like, I don't know any older listeners. Maybe you weren't familiar with Ahmad. Maybe you were. But, like, the younger kids, largely because he has the greatest nickname of all sports probably, Kids who are being recruited now know who Sauce Gardner is. When they watch the draft and they see two Cincinnati corners taken in the first round, they're going to remember that. Like there's, like you said, just everything you put everything together. This these hires have all of what. Like on paper, he couldn't build a better staff. Yeah, and and that's the, that is the important thing. We do have to temper expectations in the fact that they still have to come together as staff. They still have to do the work. They have to keep players from transferring. This happened early in the year, so there shouldn't be too many decommitments, but they're going to have to reach out to recruits. Like, they have work to do, but you can only talk about it on paper. And on paper, this is almost the perfect staff. Like, this is – you got a former Buckeye. You, like, we can keep going down the list. We can keep repeating ourselves. But the most important thing is you all should be excited about this staff. I'm very excited about this staff, and I think that the defense is going to be significantly better. And we haven't talked about Urban for a while, so – it's time to bring back the, the people who think we hate Urban. One of the other important things about this is this is Ryan Day's staff. Yeah, this he put this together. Urban Meyer tether. He didn't call Urban and ask him who to hire. He didn't hire his friend or his you know son-in-law and like that kind of stuff. Like this is his staff, uh, which if it doesn't work, could lead to him being fired. I don't think that's going to be that. But this is another step of Ryan Day stepping into his own coach because I don't think we give enough credit because it's Ohio State and no one really cares. But we don't give Day enough credit for how hard it is to step into the job after a Hall of Fame coach. Like, everyone always says, you want to be the coach after. Like, yeah, you absolutely. You want to be the second guy. You don't want to be the guy that follows the guy. You want to be the guy that follows the guy after the guy because when that guy messes up, the program's further removed and you can bring him back to that glory. And so it doesn't matter at the end of the day. You may all be rolling your eyes as I say it, but we do have to admit how hard it is. And then all you hear is, Urban Meyer left the structure. Urban Meyer left this. And he uh, all he has to do is make some slight changes from media, from coaches, from players, from all this stuff. Everything ties back to Urban, Urban, Urban. And so this is at, as a going into his fourth season, I believe, as a coach. He is now his own person. He has learned from his mistakes. He's le- had some wins. He's had some losses. And now he's developing himself, which we said earlier in the year, Ohio State should never be someone's first job. So he's having to fail in the, one of the biggest jobs in America where most coaches get to fail at Akron or at Western Kentucky or at Eastern name of state. He's getting to fail at Ohio State, which makes failing worse. But I think this is also for the better because this is now his staff. It is not tethered to Irving. He's stepping into being his own person um, and choosing the staff that he believes in, that he has relationships or whatever. Uh, and he keeps going out and taking coaches from other people that everyone wants. 
He took the best defensive coordinator in the country. He took one of the best quarterback coaches in the country. Um, he took one of the big, the fastest rising offensive line coaches in the country who we're going to talk about shortly. Like he is bringing back the I'm Ohio State. You want to coach here. We're going to get you here. You're not going to tell me no. I will sweeten the deal with whatever title, whatever extra salary bump you want, but you want to come coach at Ohio State and not UCLA or Cincinnati or any of these other – Oklahoma State, any of these other places. Yeah, without a doubt. And I, I this, this question I kind of thought about where you were talking. Uh, you, you brought up Urban Meyer's attachment today. Do you, do you consider Ryan Day a Chip Kelly guy or an Urban Meyer guy? Ryan Day is one hundred percent a Chip Kelly guy. That's why. That's that's where I was at. I was like, if you say something different, we might have an off season conversation here. But <laughs> uh, no, I'm with you. I think he's a Chip Kelly guy. I, I, yeah. I he's obviously still part of Urban Street, but I, I whenever I think of Ryan Day, I think Chip Kelly more than I think Ryan. So Day. I don't think Ryan. I, so trees are weird, but Ryan Day got his first offensive coordinator job, I believe, under Chip Kelly. So he's not under Urban's tree. I think trees are where you get your first job. I don't know. People can consider him Urban's tree if they would like. But for me, he is firmly in Chip Kelly's tree. Everything he talks about is Chip Kelly. Like, he keeps going back and forth with Chip Kelly. I firmly believe, and I've said this before, that I think he's the reason that Justin Fry got the UCLA job. Yes, I agree with that. Two different stops. He went out. And people don't think about this a lot, but, like, Coaches think moves ahead, and you can't hire someone at a certain type of institution if they don't have experience. And coaches, you see it a lot with, like, guys who hire their GAs 10 years afterwards. Coaches strategically place these guys in certain positions so they get certain experience. And I fully believe Ryan Day has had Justin Fry for years and just needed him to get experience that wasn't freaking Temple. So Ever since he was at you, Boston College, that's yeah, probably so in his plan. When his mentor needed an offensive line coach, he sent him Justin Fry. He excelled. UCLA is a better experience than Boston College and Temple. Now he's quote-unquote worthy of Ohio State. So people were saying that Justin Fry is a Chip Kelly guy, and he's not. Justin Fry is the first guy on that's Ryan Day's guy, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. And I think that takes us to the final conversation. The final staff's in place, and I'm not going to go through the whole list, but uh, there's a few more talking points we got to get through before we get into our depth chart projections in 2022. Um, uh, you could lead this one. Knowles is bringing in his GA and quality control coaches. Uh, that's big time. Now, they're not the staffers, but this brings a bunch of extra voices who are going to be able to assist and aid the other coaches in becoming Knowles. I'm trying to think of a fun way to put like Knowles' scheme. Like he no, they can teach Knowles 101 pretty much is what I'm saying. Uh, and that's huge. So they bring in three guys. And I think that's a huge part into getting Knowles comfortable, keeping Knowles, uh, getting Knowles, you know, like it's kind of like a mom movie. Knowles has his family around him now. Yeah, and that's another thing that's important that we had kind of talked about before, wondering if Nose was going to get to hire any of his guys. Well, he did. And everyone says they want Ohio State to be Alabama. Well, what does Alabama have? A million quality control coaches. Ohio State didn't have that many. Um, and so you may look at it and be like, oh, they're just quality control coaches. This doesn't matter. But no, like 
this doesn't matter. Um, he, their names, just in case you want to know, uh, Coy McFarlane, he actually served as the linebackers coach in the bowl game. And from my understanding, he's essentially the Corey Dennis or Keelan Bailey, Keenan Bailey of Oklahoma State's defense. If you don't know what I mean by that, I mean, uh, Ryan Day is the quarterback's coach, but he's a head coach. So when he's doing head coach things, you need someone in the room. You need someone running practice, doing the drills, watching the film. That's what Keenan Bailey does. That's what Corey Dennis does. Um, Brian Hartline has a million wide receivers in his room. He needs an assistant to help watch film, break down, talk to players, that kind of stuff. That's what Keenan Bailey does. Coy McFarlane is that for Jim Knowles. So when Jim Knowles is with the defensive line or the safeties or doing defensive coordinator things, head coach of the defensive things, Coy McFarlane is a guy he trusts to run the linebacker room because that's essentially what he did at Oklahoma State. That's important, especially when you don't have a named linebacker coach because a defensive coordinator can't be in the linebacker room all the time, which is why defensive coordinators and offensive coordinators don't always have positions. The other guys are Michael Hunter, who I believe was a GA, who he obviously just really liked and respected to bring. And then another defensive guy, uh, Brent, I don't know how to say his name. It's um, Polish, so it's Zubetsky. Yeah, Zubetsky uh, is another defensive guy. And so, you know, again, you if you don't think it's important, just know it's important. He has some guys he trusts. He has some guys who can break down film, can help teach players and coaches this scheme, um, can be a confidant, can, if there's any rubbing of the wrong way, explain that that's just his personality, this is what he means, all of that kind of stuff. Like, that is very important for him to have people he trusts. Um, and so it's big. Yeah, and I think it also shows that Ryan Day is willing to – cede a lot of control to uh, Jim Knowles with the defensive side of the football. I think it also says, he said, hey, we're going to give you the resources you need to make this the best defense in the country because that's three quality control assistants. And I don't know, like maybe one of them ends up being a GA again or whatever. I'm not 100% sure how that works in the process of all that, how many GAs you can actually have. But it is really a big deal. And I I think a lot of people – like you want to be like Bama, you have analysts, you have all these people. And yeah, they're not NFL coaches by any means, but we're former NFL coaches in a rehab program, but they're going to bring a lot of value that you're not going to see. We're not going to see every day to this staff. And that's important. Like you need those guys in the building who everyone can rely on to do jobs that like in a college football season, like Jim Knowles doesn't have time to do everything. So it's it's extremely important. And then the next guy on the list, uh, Day gets his O-line coach. We kind of already mentioned him, Justin Fry. Uh, this is kind of old news, so we'll kind of hit on this one quick. I'm excited. Uh, I think he's going to be a phenomenal coach. I think he brings a lot of different schemes, so hopefully he gets some freedom to install it. You know, we're going to start seeing a lot more pullers. We're going to start seeing a lot more gap schemes. We're going to see a lot more uh, – what are we going to call it? We're going to see a lot more – it's gonna. It's not just going to be one thing or another. We're not just going to see inside zone. We're going to still see a lot of inside zone, but we're not just going to see it. And that's 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 important. That's something me and Jordan have complained about for the entire time since we've been recording together. Yeah, um, and I think the most important thing, and this also uh, works for um, for Perry Alano. Uh, if you ever watched uh, Cincinnati's Corners, they tackle. Um, these two coaches alone are going to bring a level of toughness that Ohio State has not had 
in a long time. Um, and that is also important because UCLA, if you didn't watch it, go Matt Loves Boy and find UCLA LSU on the first game of the season and last year bullied. where they bullied them in the trenches. And sure, we can look back at it and say, oh, whatever, um, you, LSU just wasn't that good this year. There have been teams that beat LSU. There are not many teams who bullied, bullied LSU. LSU. And LSU bullied Alabama this year or one of these teams that was really good or Texas A&M that they almost beat and didn't like LSU wasn't an entirely terrible team so these like Justin Fry aside from his scheme and his pulling and gap plays and all that kind of stuff which I'm most excited for he's going to bring a level of toughness to these to this offensive line room that's very much needed and if the offensive line is tough is going to make the defensive line tough because iron sharpens iron sharpens iron, and by fortune, it's going to make everyone tough. And if you don't believe me, look at the Colts. The Colts got one player. They got Quentin Nelson, and in a matter of a year, they had one of the toughest offensive lines in the NFL because of one guy who brought a change to the room and said, "We are not going to be soft." Yeah, that is what one person can do. Imagine what a coach can do to all 15 guys in the room. So very excited. Yeah, and it's going to give a lot of guys fresh opportunities to compete for jobs. I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize. When new coaches get there, it's a fresh slate for everybody. So everyone's going to be working harder. Everyone's going to be doing much more. Everyone is really literally like you take all the depth charts out from last year, and yes, there's still going to be like – the basic packing orders among the players, but that doesn't mean anything. A guy like court Williams, who kind of flashed at the end, a guy like Kate Stover, who played a couple snaps on defense. Like these guys are going to have real opportunities to cement themselves in starting roles on this defense next year. Uh, some of these guys on the offensive line who might not have been getting the same looks understood can have a really big offseason and they'll surprise us. And I think that's something we need to also think about with a new staff. And I think that kind of, should take us into the break here. Uh, the new staff's excited. We've got one more conversation, and then we're going to get into the depth chart projections for 2022. So we'll see you guys on the other side. Welcome back in, everybody. It's your host, Christopher Rennie, with Jordan Williams. It's another episode of Buck Off. Thank you for staying with us this long into the show. Uh, the new coaching staff should have everybody excited. Uh, our last conversation here, this is kind of one that, you know, the more boisterous people around Ohio State have kind of been mentioning. Uh, the guys who are a little less scared to kind of go after coaches, you know, regardless. Um, but Kevin Wilson is still there and Parker Fleming are still on the staff. It seems like Dave avoided the trimming of the fat. And it, it, it's interesting because when you bring in a guy like Fry, when you bring in a bunch of other coaches and you have Parker Fleming, whose lasting memory with me going into the off season was Brendan Covey running a kickback on his special teams unit. And then, you know, a couple missed tackles on the kickoff coverage on that last play, which ended up being very scary and gut wrenching. Cause you know how that game was going. And, you know, they, they returned kicks well last year, but outside of that, I don't recall a blocked punt. I don't recall, you know, any incredible returns that weren't mostly individual effort. And then I don't recall any, like the kickoff coverage was kind of awful the entirety no, of the not, year. It was not kind of, it was very awful. And it just didn't thing, get tested as much because they changed the new rule where you get the ball at the 25 no matter where you catch it. Yeah. And 
I, I'm thinking about it. Once Ibuka went down, they had no backup plan on nope. the kickoff return team. So you're paying a guy, I want to say $250,000 to be a special teams coach and three out of your four special teams were bad. And then one out of four was really good when you had an extremely special football player back there returning kicks. So I, I'm going through my brain. I just want to say if the special teams was better, he would have returned one. How about that? <laughs> because yeah, he, he was had, so he close. He had the freshman speed. <laughs> like He was like I, – I genuinely believe if the special teams was better, if they were a little tougher, if they would have blocked better, he would return one. Yeah, because I thought he, he got had, 20, 30, 40 yards – by himself, basically. So we got to add yeah. that to the list. So it's it's interesting. And then you've got Kevin Wilson. All right. And I, once again, I, I don't want to be a hater. I feel like I don't want to start the offseason off with bad vibes. But what what's he do? Uh, <laughs> I, I wish I knew. Because I don't really know what he did beforehand. He, he's the offense. That- He's the offensive coordinator, but Ryan Day calls all the plays. Ryan Day is yep. responsible for most of the game planning. Yep. Uh, I guess he did some of the run game stuff is what I was reading. Which, which okay, I could call inside zone, and I could call <laughs> outside zone, and I could call stretch, and I could call those three plays all the time. Like, no all complexity. <laughs> we ran power, like, in one game against Rutgers when we were playing an overmatched opponent. Congratulations. That's awesome. So he doesn't recruit any position but tight ends. And at best, our tight end recruiting has been good. I wouldn't say it's bad, mm, but I wouldn't even. Subpar. It, it's just, it exists, I guess. So we yeah. get the first tight end who accepts the offer, and then that's it. Yeah. Sources confirm Ohio State does indeed recruit tight ends. We can't say much further, but they do recruit tight ends. Tight ends are recruited, and they yes. do eventually sign – on signing day, but I don't know how many people he re- – I mean, I, I feel like of the people on staff who we could probably do without and hire two coaches, even if you get rid of one of the two, you could get another body on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, and I think the defensive staff is what it is because there's no, there's not another position you could, you could coach because uh, – You could do like – Outside linebackers, inside, but that doesn't Which mean is stupid. It's it's stupid. But if you don't run a three-four, that just makes zero sense. Yeah, when and even, actually different positions. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things. Like I, I kind of get it being skewed a little bit. If like because you got the head coach, that's automatically going to be one extra. But you just you don't really need the same amount of defensive coaches. That's that's the truth. I think. Uh, Having a special teams coordinator in college football is interesting. It's an interesting choice. And if, you, if you're if you going to have one, though, he has to be elite. Every single – all four units have to be elite or it's a wasted coaching position. Yeah, there's only – literally the only reason I'm fine with Parker Fleming still being on staff, aside from the fact that I don't pay his salary and I don't make those decisions, is that – Jim Knowles wanted to coach linebackers, and so you can't have a seventh offensive assistant, and there's no room for another defensive assistant because you wouldn't have gotten Jim Knowles if you guaranteed a linebackers coach. So on that instance, it makes sense to have a special teams coordinator. On like 97% of every other staff, it does not. Yeah. Um, like last like, year, another, another defensive coach would have been huge. 
Yeah, yeah, 100%. So the only thing that you could do is you could uh, you could make another offensive assistant who only coaches tight ends, but there's like four people in that room, and then Kevin Wilson really wouldn't have a job. So to the current, you know, whatever, to get to the 10, you kind of need that uh, other coach. And also, it's just kind of like the extraness because – 10 coaches was only allowed like two or three years ago. You didn't used to have 10 coaches. So I think some people struggle to get 10 coaches just because for the large hundred years of the sport, 50, 60 years of the NCAA making these rules, you only had eight or nine defense, uh, eight or nine total assistants. So it is kind of an extra coach that may or may not matter. But last year it wouldn't matter because they could have split safeties and DBs and and done some stuff. But this year we have a linebackers coach and we have his number two in in, in McFarland. So whatever. As long as he's better, though. Like you said, you can't only do special teams and not have one of the best special teams in the country. Yeah, and that that's really that, – that's a point. I, I, I can understand his job if he does it elite. I still, I still can't find, I still can't find where Kevin Wilson does it. Kevin Wilson's got the best job in America, if we're being honest. Yeah, no, he does. Well, technically, because this is this is my whole thing. The best job in America. He has the third best job in America. The best job in America is a fired head coach. Take the buyout best, money. The second best job in America is a backup quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, you, you would never have to touch the football. Yeah, and five third, six million a year to not touch yeah. the football. And when you do, job, you win a game, you're a hero forever. Yep. And then the third best job is an offense or a defensive coordinator under a play calling head coach. Oh yeah, no, that's you a dream. He no has pressure. A <laughs> you put together you put together some of those folders, you know. You, yeah, you, you watch some film and like and then you sit in the box and tell them like, hey, number twenty one came onto the field. Hey, like looks like looks like they ran cover two the last play. Like Hey, they're bringing in heavy personnel to match ours. Do you want to <laughs> yeah, change like it? <laughs> Do we have an extra substitution here? Yeah, we get another guy in the game. It's like, oh, we have 12 guys on the field. Call a timeout. Like, <laughs> hey, hey, Chris Olave is cooking his guy. Let's try to keep working that way. It's yeah, like, we, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm starting to realize, like, I, that should have been my goal. Just become an offensive coordinator for a play-calling head coach. Just perfect. Just oh. It's like it doesn't get much better. You can do all the fun stuff of coaching and not have the pressure on game day. And then, and then at Ohio State, supposedly, you don't even have to have a good unit. No, <laughs> like, you just need to have a guy who blocks sometimes and occasionally catches a one-handed pass, and you're good to yeah, go. Just, just one once a year, catch a one-handed touchdown, and you'll be good. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I will say my one issue with the tight ends this year. <laughs> Um, and I am tired Besides of people, everything. I'm tired of like people saying, "Let's put an emphasis on tight ends in this offense." Like, screw it. We've got the best receiving. We've got the best receivers coach in the country, recruiting the best receivers in the country. I don't care if a tight end never touches the football again. If he's open, he'll get the ball. Yeah. So well, the other thing is, the Chiefs have arguably the greatest tight end of all time, and he may not like statistically. Let's just say this statistically the greatest tight end of all time. Because there are some things that other tight ends do that he that he don't block. He, so he statistically the great greatest tight end of all time. And they still have they still keep drafting wide receivers. They still drafted um Trevor uh Travis Etienne. Am I mixing it up with the brother now? Because one of them just committed on TV. Travis Etienne is Clemson, right? 
Yeah, yeah. But that's not who they drafted. They drafted, no, they drafted Edwards Alaire. Yeah, they drafted. They still drafted Clyde Edwards Alaire in the first round. So like, you can't have too much talent. You can't have too many people to get the ball to. Like, and we talked about this before the show. Hmm. Do I want to throw the five yard route? to Luke Farrell, where he's going to get tackled at seven? Or do I want to throw the three-yard route to Jackson Smith or Jiggle, where he's going to get tackled at 25? Or do I want to throw the 30-yard route to Chris Alave or Garrett Wilson, who's uh, five yards behind them and is going to score? Like, I'm sorry. The tight end is not where I want to go. It's like, hmm, scoring three plays or scoring 12? Because I keep throwing short routes to the tight end. I would rather have Jackson Smith and Jigba have 150 catches next year than have a tight end with one catch. Because I know with that 150 catches, he's going to have 3,000 yards. Yeah, none of these tight ends can do what uh, Marvin Harrison did to that poor running back and uh, the actual DB because he cooked both of them. Like, they're not running routes like that. You know, like... I'm going to be honest. I love tight ends. I love tight ends as much as the next guy. But until we get Travis Kelsey, I don't care how much they touch the football. I love blocking tight ends. I could care less if a tight end ever catches the ball. My favorite formation in all of offensive football is a wing tight end because of yeah. the ways that they can block. You can do like split zone. You can do double teams. They can reach. Like there's just we, a lot of what they can do. And we've I got like a good, Mitch Rossi for that. Yeah, I like a good blocking tight end. I could care less if they catch the ball at five yards, stumble for three more. And then, like, go block I'll be someone. Honest. Like, I saw Mitch Rossi with the ball in his hands when he caught that little check down. He used to It's fine, but it, but he's not uh, catching a ball like Jackson Smith and Jigba did. Yeah, that's different. Everyone to the end zone. I think that's the difference. Jackson Smith and Jigba catches that touchdown. There's probably a chance he scores. Yeah. So it, it's just. It's just a little different, you know. It's like I'm not mad at you guys for wanting a tight end to be successful. I'm just saying it's really not necessary. But yeah, that that takes us in. Let's get to our depth chart projections. How about that? Um, You want to start with offense or defense? Um, Let's start with offense because I think offense is more solidified. There's like one position open on offense. I really went too deep on most of the positions, and then three deep on the easy ones. Uh, but any of the threes are just guesses. Uh, so uh, we'll start with quarterback. This one's the easiest. It's going to be Stroud, McCord, Devin Brown. I don't yeah. think there's any questions there. Uh, I think Stroud's improvement throughout the season. I think he's going to be QB one or QB two next year, depending on what your flavor is. You know, if you want the pro ready guy who can throw with anticipation and do all the things you want a quarterback to do. You could get that guy if you want the guy who might be a little more athletic, have a little bit more juice in his arm, you know, might be a little more slender. There's a guy for you in that regard as well. Yeah. After watching the last two games that Bryce Young played, and I I, I do not like disparaging players, C.J. Stroud is much better. If C.J. Stroud is not QB1 in the draft next year, I'm going to have some problems with how – they're evaluating quarterbacks because I'll, I'll be the first to say it. I don't think CJ Stroud's arms as strong as Fields or Haskins, but his placement, his anticipation, his footwork, every single other thing you do at quarterback is significantly better than those two. Yeah. And the one thing that like we always, I and his arm's not people, that bad. Yeah. I was going to say the one thing that I like to remind people when they say exactly what you said is Fields and Haskins doesn't have the normal 
quarterback arm. arm. They have exceptional arms. So there's not that many people who have that arm. Like Haskins today has a better arm than like probably 90% of starting quarterbacks. But he's not a starting quarterback. Why? Because he can't do any of the other stuff right now. Um, He really wasn't ever able to do a lot of that stuff. He was just so talented he could make up for it in college. Yeah, like, and he should – I mean, I'm glad he did because it brought us Justin Fields. He should have never left. Yeah. And Fields, like, all things considered, sometimes he lets balls get away from him. Sometimes he lets things across the middle. Like, he rushes those throws and he ends up uh, skipping them. But – I mean, he's he's an ultra talented. Like you've got the most ultra talented physical specimen I think we've seen play the position. Like from just he runs. He said he runs a four three. Like that's stupid. He ran a four four and was upset. Yeah, like that's stupid. And that's a guy, and he can throw a ball a quarter mile. He's got Patrick Mahomes of arm strength. Like that's the stupid stuff he's doing. It's it's there's differences to quarterback, you know, like Aaron Rodgers can do everything. Not everyone's Aaron Rodgers. Tom Brady's won six Super Bowl rings. He doesn't do what Aaron Rodgers can do. Yeah. This is also not another uh, advertisement, but if you are interested in wondering why CJ Stroud is such a good quarterback, go watch the QB school on CJ Stroud. Very, very good. Uh, and there are some things – and it's, it's very balanced because he's not an Ohio State fan. He talks about some things he can improve, some things that went well. One of the things that he's best at that is a specifically NFL trait is anticipation. There are it's... multiple clips from the Rose Bowl alone where he throws the ball before the receiver is anywhere. And two of them two of them were touchdowns. One of them was Jackson Smith and Jigba when he threw it right over Devin Lloyd um, and that little – you know, little area in between three yeah. players, and then Jackson Smith and Jake did the rest. The other one was the second or third touchdown to Marvin Harrison Jr., where he faked like he was going to the pylon, and literally from the tight angle, you can see the ball in the like you can see the ball in the frame of the camera, and Marvin Harrison Jr. is still looking towards the pylon. That is anticipation, and the ball was placed perfectly. He literally turned around; the ball was right there. Not there are NFL quarterbacks who can't do that. Baker Mayfield, uh, for one. So yeah, not an anticipation thrower. And this is Browns can play. I've never seen a guy pump fake the ball so many times. Like, <laughs> hey, that's a Browns can play, and that's the opposite of C.J. Stroud. He is. And he's a great student of the game, which uh, yeah. Justin Fields was. Uh, I don't think a lot of people will say that about Dwayne Haskins. So, no, uh, a lot of people will actually say the opposite. opposite. Unfortunately, so. uh, uh, just but, a reminder because my one of my favorite CJ Stroud stories. The dude is nineteen, and he's texting his receivers who are older than him and telling yeah. them what to do for the game in the middle of the week because he watched extra film and saw you can beat this corner this way. You can do that at freaking 19, his first year starting and he's texting fourth year, senior Chris Olave, future yeah. first round pick Incredible. Third year junior Garrett Wilson, future first round pick who was excelling at their positions and saying, Hey, I saw this on film, do this. You can do that. He's going to allow this. We're going to score on this play. That is huge. And that can't be taught. Can't be taught. All right, so running backs here, Trevion Henderson, Mayan Williams, and I put Evan Pryor. Yes, I, I would. I, I want to see more Evan Pryor. Yeah, I do too. I think he he has some abilities that the other two guys do not. Yes, and he's, he's good. Williams is the rock. Uh, Henderson, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Once again, just in running backs. Yeah. Uh, 
And then, uh, okay, so the receivers, I've got the starters, Marvin Harrison Jr., Jackson Smith and Jigba, Julian Fleming, and then Amika Igbuka as like the rotational fourth. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, you also, because they can't see what we're looking at, you have uh, Caleb Brown and, and Jaden Ballard up there. I think Jaden Ballard gets a lot of play. I think, I think he more... plays a good amount next year. And I put yeah. him with Fleming as Fleming's backup in my list because I think they have similar body types and similar play styles. Yeah, and I think he. I think it's a five-man rotation. I think it's Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Emeka Egbuka, uh, and Jaden Ballard. And Ballard and stuff kind of get in when Egbuka's in the slot. There's going to be a lot more rotation. Gonna, because- yeah. yeah, they're going to do a lot of stuff for matchups, uh, especially moving. Yeah. So it's going to start with Jackson Smith and Jigba. They're going to do their best to work him with matchups, and that's going to get Egbuka in different positions. That's going to get Harrison Jr. in different positions. Julian Fleming's going to do different stuff and then i think with how much talent you have i think they're, we're gonna see a lot of these young guys too so i have caleb brown as a backup slot receiver behind jackson smith and jigba i think that's the most automatic thing i could call the freshman he's gonna I be actually, i think he's I, the best freshman we have yeah i actually think Egbuka Egbuka plays the slot though you think so? I, I think. Yeah. I, I think he's. I think, I, they do a, I think they do a five rotation, and Agbuka does what JSN does, where he's like depending on who's on the field, he plays both inside and outside. I don't yeah, think they six deep. So I think Agbuka yeah. going to be the first person on the field in the slot if uh, JSN's not. Yeah, I think that's fair too. Um, just because how valuable that position is, I think they put the more talented, more ready player in there first if yeah. something uh, did happen. Knocking on some wood. Yeah. Uh, and then I've got Caleb Burden as the third string X. I've got Cameron Babb. I just put him there. I, I don't know which one he'd play at. And then I've got Keon Grays backing up Julian Fleming and Jaden Ballard. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see Keon Graves against uh, whoever – crappy team we play yeah. in the fourth quarter. He's going to get a couple cheap touchdowns. He's, he's, uh, he, I think he's, he's, uh, he's dirty, man. Like it, yeah. it, to put it like simple, like he just, he's quick. He's fast. Like I, I, everyone said, like I said it months ago, like when I was at the elite 11, he looked just like Chris Olave. Like, I, I don't know how Brian Hartland found the next, next Chris Olave, right? When Chris Olave was like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, all these receivers, we always have one that breaks out their, their uh, freshman year. Um, obviously, starting with Chris Olave, then Garrett Wilson broke out, then Jackson Smith and Jigba broke out. I would argue um, Ameka Ekbuka was the breakout of this year's freshman, even though Mar- Marvin Harrison had his little thing. Uh, Julian Fleming didn't really have his breakout this year. And unfortunately, there's always one that breaks I out. He was, I thought he was solid in his fill-in roles this year. I yeah, think he, he just, just didn't brings- have that like, special break out kind of like yeah. like you know like Chris Olave like sure. all the other ones had a breakout party Julian Fleming is really good which is why I'm glad you penciled him as a starter because I think a lot of people forget how good he is I but just, Caleb I Brown and Keon Graves it's going to be interesting which one breaks out first I can't get out of my head the two non-catches that Julian Fleming had that were the most incredible catches of the season. And they, were, and they were both catches like, yeah they like, were both actually catches too and I just see that, and I see his physical ability. He he adds a different change of pace to Harrison Jr. and Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think, better than the other guys do. So that's kind of why I penciled him in there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think that a lot of people underestimate Julian Fleming, and unfortunately he's been dealing with some injuries. He was the number um, two recruit in the entire country. Yeah, 
and he was that for a reason. <laughs> like, yeah, he is good. And then, uh, so tight end, I put transfer. I don't know who it is. I'm not a recruiting expert unless I'm right. You, you and I both know that. <laughs> and then I have Joe Royer, Bennett Christian. I think I, I this isn't going to be a position of necessary strength this year. I don't think it's going to be a weakness by any means. I just think it's going to be young. I don't think it's going to be – honestly, you know, for how much they did actually utilize the tight end with Jeremy Ruckert, I could see a little bit of some four-wide action going on with how many good receivers we have. So I'd, I'd actually be prepared for that even, seeing a four-wide spread look a few more times next year just because the amount of talent you have in the receiver room and some of the questions you have in the tight end room. But there, I will always say this. 11 personnel is Ryan Day's staple formation. There's always going to be a tight end on the field as much as they can. But sometimes sometimes you're going to have to change it up just due to the talent you have. And I don't know if Joe Royer is going to be ready. I don't know if Bennett Christian is going to be able to contribute that immediately at a physical position. Obviously, I think G. Scott can be thrown into this list somewhere because of his matchup creation ability. But he's not a full-time tight end. He's a hybrid. And I think there's value in that. But I just don't see a current full-time 11 personnel starter on this roster right now. So what does Kevin Wilson do again? Yeah, exactly, right? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, – Offensive line is pretty easy unless yeah. DeLon Jones leaves, which it's unlikely, but he said he's 50-50. Uh, yeah. He's talked about it, so maybe he strikes while the iron's hot. Um, so, yeah, with offensive line, well, H-back Mitch Rossi, he's locked in. Pencil that guy in seven years. Some uh, Everyone goes – a lot of people go to school for seven years. <laughs> offensive line, we'll read them off. Left tackle, Paris Johnson Jr., left guard, Matt Jones. Center, Luke Whiffler. Right guard Donovan Jackson, I have him beating out Harry Miller. Uh, and then right tackle Dewan Jones. If Dewan Jones doesn't leave, then I think I'd go with Josh Fryer, e- Enoch Bimahi. Yeah, whichever uh, one of them win the job. Yeah, it'll be a competition. And then I have the offensive line six man as Harry Miller. Yeah. So the t- yep. tackle six man will be Josh Fryer. And then the offensive line six man will be Harry Miller. Yeah, I think I I would be very surprised if that's not how it looks. Um, I I <clears throat> I'm not sure if Whipler did enough to keep the job, so hey, yeah. and they beat him out. But um, and that just switches their names around. Yeah, it's one of one of the two. It's going to be one yeah. of the two. And then I have Harry Miller as a backup left guard. Um, I just said this to pull out the sheet. It's more like an eight. It's like an eight deep thing. You've got your five starter offensive line, and then you got your three back. It's more. I did it kind of like an NFL offensive line. How that's built. Yeah, because the rest of them, it's like you may have we, them in position. Like you may have a backup left guard, but Harry Miller's going to go in before that backup left guard. Yeah, and which is typically how offensive lines work anyway. And I was just thinking about it. Like, I just don't know enough about the freshman or sophomore, some of them, to, like, even really think about penciling them in in a 3D because we don't know how some of these projects, these three stars, these low four stars are going to develop over the time at Ohio State. So I just – I didn't even really put in not, – not that they didn't deserve the effort. I just didn't – I just don't know where to put them. I just didn't know where to pencil them in. So – I just went with the eight I know are going to play or are going to be in competition, and that's kind of how I saw it playing out. Yep. 
And I mean, I think I think you did good. I don't think it's possible for us to know that because we are not full time reporters who get to see these guys in practice and all that other kind of stuff. So yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty solid. Their best those are our best guesses. So uh, to the defense. All right, so this is a new defensive build. So I kind of there's a lot more projecting on this side than I think on the other side. I think the one position I struggled with was the interior defensive line. And then I personally added a Sam linebacker. Cause I do think we're going to see uh mix and he might not be a traditional Sam. I've got, I've got three or four options there because I think it could be an interesting way to get another versatile player on the field. So, but we're going to start with the, uh, with the new popular position everyone loves to talk about. You guys ever heard of the actor in The Departed, Leonardo DiCaprio? We're going to start with Leo. Uh, so I've got Zach Harrison penciled in. I've got Cade Sober as his backup, and I've got Jack Sawyer as the backup backup here. Um, I went with Stover as a backup because I think that's kind of very similar to the role he was playing at times in the Utah game, but so was Zach Harrison. So I, I think it's going to be an interesting kind of development to see how the direction they make this position goes. But I, I think when we look at this, we're going to look at the other defensive end because I've got Jalen Tumalao. No, man, Tumalao. I've got Jack Sawyer, and then I've got Javante Jean-Baptiste at the more traditional defensive end position. Yeah, I don't want Zach Harrison to come back, so that's yeah, the biggest issue. I think um, I'd be just as excited with this defense if I had Kate Stover first at Leo. I, I, I'm not sure that Kate Stover would start if Zach Harrison didn't come back. I think Leo's going to be very interesting. Um, he plays there. I just think that Zach Harrison has had his career, and if he's starting, it means someone else is not. And in yeah. this case, it puts Zach Sawyer as a backup, and he, I don't think he should be a backup in his second year. Yeah, um, he's too good. I think he's ready, and Zach Harrison has had five or six. And except in certain specific cases, a five- or six-year guy at Ohio State is a five- or six-year guy for a reason, and we're just stunting the growth of other people. With yeah. Zach Harrison's recruiting profile – if you would have told us when he was recruited that he would be a five- or six-year guy, no one would believe you. He was supposed to be three and done, four and done at max. And so I'm not anti-Zach Harrison. I just think that he has reached his peak, and his peak was not high enough, and he's going to stunt the growth of others if he comes back because – and maybe this doesn't happen because entirely new defensive staff, right? But So maybe he doesn't just get the job because he's a fifth-year senior. But I just would prefer if he went to the league and he tested it versus, you know, um, you know, keeping the job away yeah. from someone else who could be good or better. And yeah, he, he is a true senior, so he's going to be in his fourth year. But like you said, that's still, I mean, he was a five-star recruit. Like, if he was going to be elite, he would have already been Are there. Are you sure he's a true senior? Last yeah, year, he, he was 2018. And then uh, Tyreek Smith was the junior yes. last year. I'm Tyreek pretty Smith sure was a year older than Zach Harrison. Are you sure? 100% sure. Zach Harrison's only been there for three seasons. Yeah. And he that was better as a freshman right. than he was as a sophomore and a junior. What? Why does he feel so much older? Uh, he's, he was Ryan Day's first big recruiting win. 
So this is only his fourth season. Yeah, this is his fourth season. But I'm still with you on your point, though. Like, if he what, he's got him worse each year. Yeah. Well, either way, my point stands because of how much he's played. Yeah, he's been a a contributor since he was a true freshman. Right. And usually Um, that trajectory means you're gone in three. Yeah. And I still think that JT, Jack Sawyer, Caden Curry, some of these guys coming in have a bigger ceiling. And yeah. I'm just – but if he – he's my, not as old – My hope is he proves us wrong in doubting him. Which would be preferred. But, I mean, I'm not even sure he has 10 total sacks in his career. Yeah. In, yeah. in three years. That's an issue. Yeah, and I, I mean, everyone's like, oh, the COVID year. But, yeah, no, I think Tyreek was for sure the better defensive end this year, and he only played in, like, four games, it felt like. And it was it, it was very apparent on screen that Tyreek Smith was a better defensive end than Zach Harrison most of the time. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I think the issue – I know JT's going to start, like, without a doubt. I think Jack Sawyer obviously is going to play a lot. And then the two people I wasn't really sure what to do with were – uh, Javante Jean Baptiste and uh, Tyler Friday because I think a lot of people are hinting at Tyler Friday becoming a three tech when he gets back from his injury. Interesting, which I think would be think, a good move for him. Yeah, I, I just pulled this up. I don't want to pile on, but in three seasons, uh, he has nine and a half sacks and seventeen and a half tackles for a loss. That is a very good defensive end one season. Yeah, this should be his single year. Like he's that, had that if, in. if he doesn't have 10 sacks next played. year, I would be very disappointed in him. And 33 games played, he has nine and a half sacks. Yeah. And so two and a half tackles for a loss. I just he's a he's fine if he's the number two and he's just a, a super backup. But if he's starting, that means either that means nothing good. I mean, yeah. most likely, in my opinion, there's either favoritism because he's a senior or some of the younger guys didn't develop, and I don't like either of those. Or he's Obviously. proving us wrong, and he has an exceptional year. But Which, I think that's less likely than the first two. Yeah, it's preferred, but less likely. Uh, and then, so, defensive tackle. This one, I didn't, I, have, I didn't have trouble with it, but I was just trying. So, I went with Teron Vincent and Tyleek Williams as the starting DT and nose tackle, but they're both nose tackles. So, that's kind of an issue there in my depth chart because uh, neither of them are three techniques. So, that is going to be the first thing we need to resolve. Uh, but I do think there, uh, this is a position that probably rotates the most. They like to go six deep here very regularly if they could go eight deep and have eight players that can play at times they would do that at defense and nose tackle but i don't think we have i think we got five guys right now who can play here immediately and then i think Caden curry could come in and play as a three tech that's why i brought up tyler friday because i think he could be a three tech but right now i've got tron vincent michael hall ty hamilton tyleek williams and antoine jackson as the five who are for sure going to play a lot yeah, I think that's a good list. And then it kind of depends on if, like, Jerron Cates comes back. Kind of yeah. depends on what happens with Tyler Friday and uh, Caden Curry. And Some of these younger probably guys. the most likely of the young guys to play. How fast they can get up to speed. There's a lot of questions with what happens after these five. Yeah, so I think but that's, that's, that's I mean, I, I don't really have many comments. Teron Vincent played his best game at the end of the season. I think he finally was coming into form after being injured his first three years. 
Yep. Uh, Tyreek Williams came in and was an absolute ferocious beast. I think he needs to take another year to refine his body and refine his fundamentals and technique. Mm-hmm. Antoine Jackson's an energy guy. I think everyone who saw Mike Hall getting recruited is like, all right, this guy's going to be a freak. Uh, Ty Hamilton, same. He he's, he's a really good football player, so I think he'll be a guy. He was contributing a lot at the end of the year, so he's going to be an interesting guy. So I, I think this is a solid group. I think it's not as uh, what's it, it, it's not as cool as it was a few years ago, but you know, like it can't always be. So I think this is just a really good group. I don't know if it's going to be a great group, but I think it's going to be yeah. a good group. The young guys are better than they were a couple of years ago, though, which is exciting. That so is. The thing, the thing that's – and I, I, I'm waiting for the full list. I'm sure it's out there if I actually Googled it. But I feel like 70% of this freshman class is enrolling early. Like a yeah, very large a number list. of them are. And so it's going to be very interesting to see if I'm any of these young guys uh, yeah. get some very heavy playing time because everyone's got there early. Footing. Yeah, and that's interesting because, like we said, with the coaching staff change, everyone has a fresh slate with this yeah. new coaching staff. So all and, these uh, these are just kind of based on what we saw last year, and that's kind of what I was basing it on, mm-hmm. and then kind of just projecting. So uh, I don't yeah. know how it's going to turn out. We're going to find a lot out by spring, but that's why this is in a spreadsheet so I can change it. Yep, and it's probably a little late to say this as we're more than halfway through. Some of the guys we're listing may not even be on the roster. That's true. And I, I want to mention this just because I think it's important and to provide a little bit of perspective. The college NCAA scholarship limit is 85. Currently, Ohio State is somewhere in the 90s. So if any of these players transfer, there's a, especially if they're a third or fourth year guy who has not really played a lot, there's a chance that Ryan Day gave them the nudge that they need to transfer. Otherwise, Ohio State's roster would be illegal. So if one of these older linebackers or one of the older safeties or one of the older defensive ends transfer or a young guy who you thought was going to be good or something like that, it, it, I hate to say it, but it's probably because they're not very good and they were the sacrifice of to get this to get roster, yeah, so, yeah I think that's a good that point. As we start seeing transfers and spring ball and that kind of stuff, I that's a great point there. And I, I think there's there's always going to be, for now on, like with college football, there's always going to be a second wave of transfers after spring practice. So that's also something to think about. If they're not where they want to be in the pecking order, if they're not looking like they're going to get the playing time they expected. We could see another exodus come spring, which is something to think about as well. Yep. And then, so that takes us to the linebacker. So I did a Mike Will Sam just because I think the addition of a Sam against Utah is going to be something that's permanent long term. Uh, so I've got the three starters here, but mostly two starters. So the two starters will be Steel Chambers and Diamante Trainum. I think, I don't think you go after a guy like Diamante unless you have an immediate plan for him to contribute. And then uh, the Sam, as an extra player, I have Cade Stover. I think he's kind of going to be the versatile backup on the defense. Uh, I I think he's going to find a role. I just think he has too much energy. He's too athletic, and he does too many different things. But his issue is he doesn't do one thing extremely well. And then uh, so my backups at linebacker are Tommy E and Cody Simon. What's new? And then C.J. Hicks and Reed Carrico I put back there. Uh, I think those are going to be the six guys we start seeing in the rotation. Carrico's got to get a little bit bigger. CJ Hicks, he's ready to play now, but I do think 
they're going to go with older, more experienced guys there. Cause that's a, it's a tall task for a freshman. And I hope CJ Hicks comes in and he gets to the size he needs to be. And he plays immediately. Cause I think he's one of my favorite recruits I've ever followed. Like, at Ohio State. So I'm excited. That's my three. And then it's Sam. This is where it gets interesting. I put Pallier Nachiote as the backup Sam, and I put an or as in Court Williams because I think there's a lot of things you could do with the third linebacker. And we kind of saw Court Williams playing a lot more in the box in the Rose Bowl. So I think that's an interesting thing, especially with the new staff coming over, what they're going to do with a guy like Court Williams, who is – Probably more athletic than Chambers and Trey and him, but he's a little bit smaller than those two. Yeah, so linebacker is where we have the most disagreement, but also I think is where no one actually knows what's going on. I think Tommy E starts at Mike and Steel Chambers starts at Will. I think I saw somewhere that uh, Diamante Trainum has like three years of eligibility left, maybe even four with the extra oh, He's year. got time. I think he's a starter – the year after. I think he's an impact guy, second and third string guy. Um, I would move CJ Hicks up to a second string because I think he's one of the only real linebackers in the room, and then the rest just kind of fill out. I like the Sam. I do think if it's Sam, if there is a Sam in, Kate Stover is probably that guy. Um, or uh, Pallier, which we'll just never know because he was really injured. We don't really know how good he is. Um, but I do think that uh, Tommy E starts. Um, and that's, yeah, tough I, I mean, me, that's tough for me to say, but yeah, one of the I, large reasons I think he starts is because he's the only true Mike in the room, and I do not think Steel Chambers can play Mike. Yeah, and I, I just kind of – because they're both interior, and Will's more of what Steel Chambers would do. Uh, but, yeah, I just think this is going to be the hardest position because Jim Knowles obviously knows exactly what he wants his linebackers to be. So it's going to be whichever – this is the this is the most fresh slate position of them all, period. Like, I think every other position group, you're kind of – like these defensive backs, I think there's a very established pecking order there, and I don't think there's anything that's really going to change that. The defensive line, I think there's a very much – there's a talent order, and I think that's pretty locked in. And I think linebacker, this is wide open because this was not a very good performing group last year. So this is the most projected one. Like I have no idea how this position group's going to go. I think it would be absurd to make any assumptions about the linebacker group. Yeah, essentially. Um, I will say this, and this is not the bandwagon that I'm going to choose uh, because they, he had some very, very real flaws. And I do not want anyone to think that I'm playing revisionist history. I think if there was a most improved player award, uh, Tommy E probably would have won it. Absolutely. He improved a lot. The way people talk about him at the beginning of the season made no sense. As you started to see him improve, it did start to make sense. If you don't know what I'm talking about, try to find the Steel Chambers and Cage Stover interview at the end of the Rose Bowl where they talked about him and he said that he's just animal. different and one of the hardest working players that they know. Um I think with another year, he got thrown in a little too early. With another year, a new defense, a better defensive line, and and, and I do think that he has a chance to be um, good. Not great. I don't think he'll be great. Yeah. I, I, I think he'll be good. He's um, got he he really is a person we went really hard on at the beginning of the year. 
And he he earned he earned a lot of respect in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. I've never and seen have, fans flip so quickly on a player like bad to good. Yeah, and I have no regrets because maybe he saw us and that helped him get better, which is very narcissistic to say and actually didn't happen. I just think I've said this once and I'll say it again. If you're going to be hard on someone, you also have to admit respect when they've done when, well. Yep, and he and did so, well. I he think, did well against Michigan. He he did really yeah. well down the stretch. And I think against bigger teams, he's going to have in a, a legitimate role because there's not a lot of people in that room with his size. Yeah, and I mean, he made the one play on the outside play that yeah. made me think he can be an every-down linebacker. Yeah, linebacker is hard. Especially when the mind. defensive line is getting their ass kicked. So I think that that's the – like, we never know what's going to happen. But I just want to say it now on uh, January – 13th, this releases on the 14th, that I think Tommy E is probably going to be the starter at Mike. Yeah, I think I I mean, it's like, like I think this is going to be the one position where there's going to be a lot of tribalism going into the offseason. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to be like, I'm a Steel Chambers guy. I'm a, play, I'm a Tommy E guy. I'm like this guy, you know. I think this is going to be the most tribalistic formation or position of all of them. I'm a silver bullets guy, and I don't care who they who play plays. as long as Doesn't we get matter. back to that. All right, so to the defensive backfield, we'll go with the safeties first because they do run three safeties quite a bit. Uh, so I've got cover safety, Tanner McAllister. Uh, I've got free safety, Josh Proctor. And then I've got the bullet strong safety is Ronnie Hickman. I think those that's are, solidified unless anyone gets injured. Those are the starters for me. And then at cover safeties backup, I've got Lathan Ransom and Cam Martinez. Well, um, Lathan Ransom, is he going to miss the year? He broke his leg, remember? Yeah, I think he'll I be I mean, that doesn't really matter, but, like, that's not – well, timeout. It matters. It matters that he broke his leg. That's not what I was saying. I was saying it doesn't matter for the 2D because he may play. And it's yeah. not like anyone's holding a gun to your head if this is wrong. I don't want anyone it, to it think might I – <laughs> I, don't want anyone, I don't want anyone to think I was saying that him breaking his leg didn't matter. Um, but, yeah, I, I I agree. If he's healthy and ready for the season, then, yeah, he probably yeah. is number two. And then free safety, I put uh, Johnson Dunn or Andre Turrentine. I think it's going to be a young guy. I do. like, But not a freshman coming in. I think it's going to be one of the guys from last year. Because this is one position where you start off and there's so much mentally there that you kind of freeze up. You don't really get to let your athleticism flourish. Safety is the one position where you take a huge leap once you're comfortable in the scheme. And I think that's going to be these two young guys and either Johnson Dunn or Andre Turrentine. And then I put Sonny Styles as uh, the backup for free safety, the backup backup. And then at bullet, I have court Williams and Sonny Styles as the backup backups there. Yeah, the only thing that I'll say is hopefully uh, you're wrong and it's because the new safeties coach is a better evaluator because I think Lathan Ransom is more of a bullet than a cover safety. I don't think Lathan Ransom could cover me, but he tackles really well. Yeah. So I do think he needs to get out of that cover safety role. And I think this is something we need to talk about right now because it's the the only – Safety, the two safeties. So the they've got two strong safeties and one free safety, but all three safeties are asked to do everything. So they'll yes. cover man to man. So this it's a little bit more positionless. It's a little less. Uh, yeah. So there's going to be it. It's going to be the three best guys. Period. So I think that's where it starts, and then it's going to be the three best guys after that. And I don't think it's 
what was the conversation we kind of had about the offensive line where it's like eight guys? There's going to be like five guys here who play. Yeah, I think so. And actually, now that I'm actually looking at this, I do think or hope that Court Williams moves to linebacker, Lathan, Lathan Ransom becomes the bullet, and then Cam Martinez is the backup cover safety because he can cover. I think yeah, that's yeah. a better if way you, for it to look. If you uh, could combine so Cam Martinez and Lathan Ransom, you'd have the best interior nickel player on the planet. And unfortunately, you can't. He can't so. because Cam Martinez is great at coverage and he's great in space. Can't tackle the same way. You would have Lathan a Ransom anymore. Yeah, Lathan Ransom can tackle, but he can't cover in man-to-man. So yeah, it's two birds, one stone uh, if you can combine those two. And then lastly, we've got the cornerbacks. Uh, I've got Denzel Burke and Cam Brown starting. Uh, I don't think there's going to be any changes there. And then I've got Jordan Hancock and Ja'Kalen Johnson as the backups. I think that is what it is. And then obviously we've got a bunch of young guys coming in and like we said, fresh late. So come the end of spring, we might have some new faces on this, but we will keep you updated. And this is just, this is just our first projection. We'll probably do one after the spring game. And then we'll probably do another one as we get closer to the season on kind of how we see it finalized. So expect two more of these at least. And then, yeah, that's, that's it for the depth chart projection. I don't think we went crazy here. I, I think if we went off instincts, I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah, I think so. And the the most important thing is, as we said earlier, there are good coaches who are going to be evaluating these players. And I would not be surprised if there's a lot of position changes because there are a lot of players currently in the wrong position. Yeah, and honestly, it'll be kind of like there's going to be a room of the defense coaches, and they're going to redraft a lot of these players. Yeah, and it's going to be awesome. And we're, I think, to close out, it, it, I got, I got a final thought here, and this is something that I've been thinking about the entire show, and I just want to leave the audience with this final thought. Uh, oh, Ryan Day heard all the noise. I don't know if he actually heard the noise or if he just saw the writing on the walls inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, if he didn't make changes. But he went out. He hired, what is that, four new coaches? And then he added three quality control coaches. He's not messing around. Uh, These coaches are professional. These coaches are high-level coaches. These coaches have a track record of success at different levels in different situations. And I think the value of that is going to be immense. And I think my favorite part is, and it's something we hit on while we were doing the depth chart projections, is all of the knowledge we had going into this spring is now pretty much avoided. Like, everyone gets a fresh start. And, yes, there's going to be guys who are in starting spots who keep their starting spots on defense and so on and so forth. But the reality of the situation is, is we could have 11 different starters come week one next year. And that, to me, is exciting. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but overall, Ryan Day made changes. He got an elite defensive staff, and there's a lot of talented players who are going to be coached very well. And I just think everyone should be really excited for 2022 when Ohio State kicks the shit out of Notre Dame week one because of these changes. Yeah, that's the perfect way to end the show. It's the perfect thing to say. I'm just very exciting, and as someone who covers Ohio State in a very limited capacity, as in 
the podcast that I do. They just made this offseason so much fun. There's going to be so many articles to write, so much research to do. I'm I'm going to watch every single one of these press conferences for the first time. And I'm not yeah. always a press conference guy. There's just going to be so much intrigue. You're going to be like looking for all the videos to see where players are. Like I, off seasons are terrible. They are. Football does not last long enough. It has the longest off season of any other sport, professional sport. But this off season is going to be very interesting. And so, you know, I hope you all stay along and, and, and listen to us talk throughout it. Cause I think we're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to be here with you all off-season long on Fridays, same time, same place. Uh, you can find us anywhere you get podcasts. Make sure you subscribe to the show, rate it, give me and Jordan a special shout-out if you do. And that, that's it for me today. You can follow me at Chris Rennie CFB on Twitter, and then you can follow the show at Bug Off Pod. Where can we find you, Jordan? Uh, you can follow me at JordanW330, still doing I-70 show in the offseason and still doing my big thoughts uh, column. Uh, and side note, two days after this comes out, just in case anyone's interested, I'm starting a new series, five questions for every Big Ten team. So if you're actually very interested in the Big Ten, I will have five questions, one team a week for the next however many weeks. Uh, so I think that's going to be a fun article. So, uh, yeah, follow me and appreciate you listening to the show. Yep, and we will see you guys next Friday. Go Bucks.